That was a great intro, Michael. I don't feel I'm going to live up to it. The, um, uh, great to be here, though. Honored to be here. Grateful for the invitation. Thankful for the opportunity to see uh, many old friends and make some, some new friends as well. As Michael said, I am from Bonnie, Scotland, but I am now a proud American. The list of Scottish-born Americans is actually impressive. Think of John Witherspoon, um, Andrew Carnegie, of course, um, Alexander Graham Bell. Right? Now, I don't have the qualities of those men, but I do have the accent. So <laughs> if you learn nothing else today, you will at least know what we're all going to sound like in heaven. So that's a good, that's a good thing. Our title, The Pitfalls of a Political faith. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray as we dive in. Father, as we meet together today, those who uh, have the gift of calling ourselves Christians have the great priv privilege of knowing that our primary identity is that we are men and women who are loved by you, that you are a God of grace who loves us as we are and not as we ought to be, and to even now, Lord, has not only given us uh, eternal salvation, but given us great purpose and meaning for life today. And so our hope, Lord, is that as we spend just a few moments now reflecting together, we would understand more of your love for us and more of its implications for, for our lives. How, how this faith of ours, this, this great gospel of grace, should change the lives that we lead on a day-to-day -day basis. So be with us and help us to that end, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis, you've heard of him, famous Oxbridge professor, most famous for writing the Chronicles of Narnia, also wrote a great little book called The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read The Screwtape Letters, really encourage you to get a copy. It's a very creative book where he imagines the advice that a senior devil, a senior demon, would pass on to an intern. To a, to a junior uh, demon. If the goal was to make Christianity completely ineffectual, how, how would you go about doing that? In one section, the, the senior demon addresses the connection between Christianity and politics. And this is what he says. Certainly, we do not want men to allow their Christianity to flow over into their political life. For the establishment of anything like a really just society would be a major disaster. On the other hand, we do want and want very much to make men treat Christianity as a means. Preferably, of course, as a means to their own advancement, but failing that as a means to anything, even to social justice. Now, I love this section because it really captures the tension in our title today the pitfalls of a political faith. It captures the tension because on one hand, our faith gives us unbelievable resources, unbelievable resources to make a profound difference in this world. When the love of Christ wells up in our hearts and then overflows into our politics, we are passionate, we are steadfast, we are courageous. We are focused on those things that matter most, and we even have the resources to uh, be sustained and endure and persevere through all the stress and problems and opposition that comes as you try and promote those things that matter most. Yet, on the other hand, as the demon points out, 
if we don't understand the relationship between our faith and our politics, if we don't understand how the two cohere, we actually end up neutering both of them. We become less faithful to God in our faith, and we become less fruitful in this world in our politics. We have to understand how these two things relate together. And so for the sake of our faithfulness to God and indeed our fruitfulness in the world, we're going to talk about some of the dangers, the pitfalls of a political faith. Looking forward to sharing uh, three of them with you, three that I suspect will become increasingly relevant as we move through, but also looking forward to some discussion at the end. I'd love to learn from you what your experience has been, what pitfalls you have come across. But let's dive in with three to get the ball rolling. First, pitfall of a political faith. Are you ready? Number one, underestimating the importance of politics. The first pitfall is underestimating the importance of politics. Now, I suspect that's not the primary problem of most people in this room. Okay? Uh, it's probably not why we're here. However, as we live and work in DC, we're always trying to see outside of the little bubble that we're in and recognize what's taking place in, in our nation and in our churches. According to a 2019 Pew Research study, trust in government is at an historic low. Only 17% of Americans say they trust the government in Washington to do what is right even most of the time. Before the last election, almost three quarters of Americans said that uh, the majority of elected officials put their own interests before the national interest. I, I doubt that stat has improved since then. Writing in the New York Times, Pete Winner uh, captured the cultural atmosphere of our moment by saying that much of the public has utter contempt for the political class. Now, this contempt, this cultural milieu that we are in, has also bred a kind of cynicism in our churches. A cynicism in our churches where you'll now have a contingent that would suggest that what the church should really do is simply transcend politics and, and preach the gospel. That the church and Christians shouldn't, shouldn't get all that much involved in, in, in the swamp but instead to try and somehow transcend political life in order to preach the gospel, that our faith should somehow be divorced from our politics. And so in this cultural moment, as we see this cynicism growing, again, maybe not in this room, but certainly in our nation and in our churches, we want to pause and remember that, that this would be a terrible pitfall for us to fall into, to underestimate the importance of, of politics. Governments, we believe are a good thing. In fact, we even believe that they were God's idea, that they were God's idea, that, that somewhere in the divine imagination, as he was coming up with how this world would be, as he thought about the sun and the moon and the earth and the stars, as he thought about the trees and the plants, as he made the animals and somehow dreamt up the giraffe, right? Somewhere in that creative process, in that divine imagination, he decided that governments would be healthy for humanity. So Romans chapter 13, verse 1, in case you think I'm making this up, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So we don't think of government and we don't think of politics as as a kind of necessary evil. 
We think of them as, as a positive good that has been created by God. And I hope that that's an encouragement to us and an encouragement to you as we do our work. That governments have been designed to deal with things that are, are practical and ethical, with things that are necessary and with things that are noble. That humanity's flourishing depends on government. There are roads to be built and children to be educated and parks to be maintained and poverty to be alleviated and there are wars to be won and medicines to be distributed. And the work that we do on a day-to-day -day basis makes a difference. Creative policy can indeed make streets safer and make schools better. It can reduce violence, encourage marriage and adoption. It can serve the common good, whether that's in a local homeless shelter or in tackling the AIDS crisis across the world. Politics can be part of God's plan to renew the world. He's designed it to be so. So don't fall into cynicism. Because here's an interesting thing, especially for the, the younger folks in this room. I've, uh, I've pastored in DC now for 13 years, and I see a lot of young adults show up in this town ready to change the world. Do you know what happens after two years? So many of them fall into the cynicism that just no one cares, <laughs> and that they can't make a difference. And so they pack up, and they go back to Iowa. Right? Iowa's great. I don't know if I'm in Iowa. I'm just saying, right? Um, but it's so easy to, to fall into that kind of cynicism. And we would say, push back against that. Don't fall into that particular pitfall. Don't dismiss or, or devalue the political enterprise. God has ordained your work for the welfare of humanity. And the opposition, the stress, the problems are worth it. <laughs> They're worth it. Don't give up. Where politics is done poorly, the answer is to do it better, not to give up on it. One writer put it this way. He said, the fighting of raging fires requires a fire extinguisher, not withdrawal. Speaks a man married to a firefighter. Yeah. <laughs> you can mess with me, just don't mess with her. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Christians, uh, we don't withdraw from the political sphere. We engage to make it better than it would be without us. Pitfall number one is... Uh, underestimating the importance of politics. Now, if the folks in this room are unlikely to fall into that pitfall, you can probably guess where we're going with the next one, which is pitfall number two, one that we're maybe uh, more in danger of, which is after underestimating the importance of politics, pitfall number two, overestimating the importance of politics. Politics has what we call a totalizing temptation it makes you feel like everything depends on it. And when passions run high, and listen, passions in DC always run high, right? That's our, our default mode is for passions to run high. And even in my short 13 years here, I've seen that get worse. It's only become more in, inflamed. The rhetoric has only increased, you know, we're just, it's getting more and more intense all the time. And when passions run high, as they always do, there's a tendency to believe that everything depends on politics. And friends, it's just not true. <laughs> it's not true practically, and it's certainly not true theologically. First of all, just practically, it does us good to pause and remember that, you know, the most important things in our lives fall primarily outside of the political realm. The President of the United States does not determine your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, or much more importantly, his love for you. 
The President of the United States doesn't determine who your spouse is or how tightly you squeeze them at night. The President of the United States doesn't determine your relationship with your children or the, the values and passions that you pass on to them. The President doesn't determine your friendships and whether or not you make that call to that loved one who's diagnosed with cancer. You know, friends, 2020, I, the winner of the next election really ought not be on your lifetime lists of greatest joys or greatest sorrows. If it makes the list, we, we've got bigger problems. It shouldn't be that way. Whoever wins in 2020, do you know what will happen the next day? The sun will rise. <laughs> and the next day, it'll set. And in between, there'll be congestion on the beltway. And there'll be long lines at the pharmacy. And there'll be laughter in children's playgrounds. Life will go on. There'll be joys to discover. There'll be hardships to endure. There'll be things to do and passions to pursue. Politics, presidential elections, they matter. But just practically speaking, other things matter more. Now, if this is true, practically, that we shouldn't overestimate the importance of politics, it's also true theologically. Listen, we, we step back and, and think about a theological framework of our engagement here. We understand that God has, God has created a beautiful economy where our lives actually matter. Isn't it, isn't it great that, that the God of all creation, who has the power to uh, speak light with the very word, has ordained that the, the lives that we lead actually matter, and actually through our lives, he, he brings about his purposes here on earth. It's an incredible privilege to be used by the God of the universe. And yet, at the same time, we remember, you know he's still in control. Every picture we get of heaven, you know what God's doing? He's sitting down on a throne. Why? Because he's not hurrying and scurrying around, worried about how he can hold his world together and hold all things together at the seams. And so we, we recognize that whether our candidate wins or loses, God still rules and reigns. And this is really freeing. It's a really freeing thing because it enables us to attack our work with vigor because our work matters, and yet also to trust it all to the Lord of history. You know, it's good news. That, hey, your worst day, what's been your worst day on the hill? You know, it didn't usher in the apocalypse. <laughs> what's the worst day you can imagine having on the hill? It, it still won't usher in the apocalypse. What about your best day? Did it take us to paradise? <laughs> we just have a little humility. A humility to celebrate that our lives matter, but recognize that God is in control, that today is just a sentence in the much larger story whose author is God. So don't overestimate the importance of politics. Don't let it matter too much. Resist that totalizing temptation. Care deeply about your work, yes, and work for the welfare and health of this earthly city, but trust it all to the Lord, who is bringing about that heavenly city. Pitfall one, underestimating the importance of politics. Pitfall two, overestimating the importance of politics. Pitfall three, perhaps the one that has been on my radar most uh, recently, and one that I see uh, just a, a real need for us to get our arms around uh, as a people of God, is pitfall number three, tying Jesus to your political party. 
tying Jesus to your political party. Pitfall number three. Let's talk about this. We've said, right, we've said that individual Christians can and should be engaged in politics, that our faith will inform the issues that we're passionate about. And not just that, our faith will all even inform the kind of solutions we think should be pursued. We should also say that it's right for a Christian to align themselves with a political party. They are the vehicles through which good work can be done and progress can be made. But we must be very careful not to conflate the two, our faith and our party, Jesus and our party, and start to live as if all Christians should vote like you do. Do you, do you, do you test yourself on this? Do you ever find yourself feeling like you just don't understand how, how Christians could vote for the other party? Do, do you fall into that way of thinking? Do you tacitly assume that Jesus would vote like you do? Has that crept into your thinking? We want to be careful. Tim Keller, our Pope, <laughs> Presbyterian Pope, um, pastor and theologian, wrote uh, an interesting book actually on the, the uh, biblical book of Jonah. It's called The Prodigal Prophet. And tucked in there near the back, he has this interesting section uh, with the heading Christians and Politics. And in that section, he lists several reasons why it's harmful to tie Jesus to one party. Why it's harmful to suggest that one party is the Christian party. Listen to some of these reasons. First of all, he says, we shouldn't tie Jesus to one party because doing so gives listeners to the gospel the strong impression that to be converted, they not only have to believe in Jesus, but they also have to become members of the fill-in-the-blank party. That to be a Christian, it, 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 when, when, we tie, when we tie Jesus to, to, our, to, our, to our political party, we give the impression to the unbelieving world that the essence of Christianity is somehow connected to being Republican or Democrat. When actually the essence of Christianity is recognizing that your life is an absolute disaster. We've made an absolute train wreck of our lives. And yet God, by his grace, has set his love upon us in Jesus. So that a people who have done nothing to earn relationship with him and could never do anything to earn relationship with him are invited into his family because of Christ. Christ has taken our punishment. He gives us his righteousness. We are now viewed as beloved sons and daughters in Jesus, and it has nothing to do with our politics. For our cultural witness to an unbelieving world, for the sake of evangelism, we want to make sure not to tie our faith too closely to Jesus. Secondly, I wonder what you'll think of this one. A little more controversial. We shouldn't tie Jesus to one political party because most political positions are not matters of biblical prescription, but practical wisdom. Most matters of, uh, most political positions are not matters of biblical prescription, but practical wisdom. Now, here we're not suggesting that the church shouldn't speak to, you know, social, economic, political realities, because the Bible certainly does. For example, the biblical command to lift up the poor, to defend the rights of the oppressed, that is a moral imperative for every believer. What we're saying is that as soon as one group of Christians decide that they know exactly how that should be done, exactly how those moral ideals should apply in our particular society, they are always moving beyond clear biblical prescription into matters of, of practical, practical 
prudence and wisdom. So, using our example, what's the best way to lift up the poor in this particular time, in this particular place, in this particular cultural moment? What role should the government play? What should be left to private citizens or the free market? This can and should be the topic of like enthusiastic and rigorous debate, but we recognize that thoughtful Christians are going to land on different places on, on, in, their, in their answer to that question. And that landing in a different place isn't even a bad thing, because when it comes to caring for the poor, there's no doubt that a tapestry of solutions is, is going to be needed. And so the point is, thoughtful Christians all trying to obey God's commands, all trying to be faithful to God's call, can reasonably appear at different places on the political spectrum with loyalties to different political parties. Second reason not to tie your faith, Jesus, to one party. Third one, uh, I've only got two more. Uh, third reason Keller gives, Christians' positions on social issues do not fit neatly into contemporary political alignments. Let me say that again. Keller says, don't tie Jesus to one political party because Jesus' teaching on social issues doesn't necessarily map neatly over the platform of any one political party. There's a, a New Testament professor called Larry Hurtado. He taught, uh, he passed away just in the last couple of years. He taught at the University of Edinburgh where I did my, my undergraduate degree. And he wrote a really interesting book called Destroyer of the Gods, which examines um, what life was like in the early church in those first years after the resurrection of Jesus. And in it, he gets into describing the social views that were promoted by the early church. So if you were part of a, the early church, part of a local congregation in those first days after Jesus, uh, what, kind of, what kind of programs did you care about? What kind of meetings did you have? Well, he identifies five of them. First, he says, they were radically committed to multi-ethnicity and equality between the races. In the New Testament church, there was this incredible emphasis upon the equality of the races, which, which makes sense to us, right? In Christ, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, all are one in Christ Jesus. Christianity is a, a global faith for every nation under earth. It makes sense that this was an emphasis in the early church. Second, a strong concern for the poor. Third, an emphasis upon forgiveness and non-retaliation. Fourth, Early church emphasized the prohibition of abortion and infanticide. In a day when it was common to discard your baby, especially if she were a, a girl, Christians would go and they would collect these children and they would raise them in their, their own, own homes. And what was interesting was the world didn't think that was weird. What the world thought was weird was that they didn't then sell them as slaves. They just raised them for the welfare of these, of these kids. Uh, number four, pro pro prohibition of abortion. And then number five, uh, early church emphasized a sex ethic that prohibited all sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Now, it's interesting, right? When you think of these five things, as some have pointed out, the first two, multi-ethnicity and a strong concern for the poor, kind of sound democratic. And the last two, abortion and sex within heterosexual marriage, kind of sound Republican. But the third trait, forgiveness and non-retaliation, that doesn't sound like anyone, right? <laughs> the point is that if you follow the teachings of the Bible, um, it's very likely that liberals will think you're too conservative and conservatives will think you're too liberal on at least some issues. 
on at least some issues. Why? Because the Bible's teaching doesn't map neatly over the platform of any one party. So it's to be expected that we'll find Christians in both. So don't tie Jesus to either of them. Okay, I want to leave time for discussion. Let me give you one more reason and I'll close. One more reason why we shouldn't tie Jesus to our political parties. Um, Scott Sauls, he's a pastor in Nashville, a friend of mine says, when you ask whose side is Jesus on, the answer is Jesus sides with himself. Jesus sides with himself. Jesus affirms and critiques aspects of all political parties and he stands authoritative over them all. So as Christians, we don't ask whose side is Jesus on. We ask, are we on Jesus's side? We don't ask, oh, does Jesus align with my party? We ask, do I align with, with Jesus? We start, <laughs> we start with our king, with our king who is Christ Jesus, and then we follow him. We follow him into politics. We allow our faith to overflow into our life. Jesus drives our political action, not the other way around. And so we become a people who, where our own party is, is right, we rejoice and we work hard for those ends, but we also have the humility that where our party needs improvement, we can be honest about that and work hard to bring change. But at the end of the day, Christians, we don't tie him to our political party. We tie ourselves to him. That's the essence of what it means to be united to Christ. And I would say, if we had another hour, we've spoken about some pitfalls. What's the prescription, right? If we, had, if we had another hour, we would talk about that. But ultimately, it, it is going to come back to Jesus. Because if we fix our eyes on Christ, we're not going to underestimate the importance of politics because we're going to understand his call on our lives to make a difference for him. But if we keep our eyes on Christ, we're also not going to overestimate the importance of politics because we're going to remember that he's the king and he's ruling and he's reigning. And if we keep our eyes on Christ, we're certainly not going to try and tie him to our political party because we're going to be too busy trying to tie ourselves to him. Okay, let's leave some time for discussion. Wrap up there. Um, C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters. Friends, don't make the demons happy, right? Don't make the demons happy. Avoid these pitfalls. Allow your Christianity to flow over into your political life. It will make us more faithful to God, more fruitful in his world. Lauren.